Welcome to Rocket Talk, the Tor.com podcast. I am Justin Landon, the host of the program. I am joined by first-time science fiction author David Liss. Mind you, it isn't his first novel. First published in 2000, David has written eight historical novels, the first of which, A Conspiracy of Paper, won him an Edgar Award. He's also written for Marvel, Dynamite, and most recently, 215 Inc. Comics. His newest novel, Randoms, is his science fiction and middle grade debut. Welcome, David. Well, thank you. Uh, now, although we're recording this through the magic of the internet, you live about 15 minutes yeah. away from me. How science fictional <laughs> is it that this is far easier to have a conversation this way? I don't know that it's science fictional so much as it's highly realistic. I think most of my friends I talk to now via the internet more frequently than I see them in real life. So I consider it a function of the modern world. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's it's sort of bizarre. Of course, we, we live in San Antonio, Texas, and you know, there are other people here who I'm very good friends with through sort of the, the world of genre, you know, people like John Picasso and, and of course Robert Jackson Bennett lives up the road here a piece and, and these are people who ten or fifteen years ago I would go see frequently in person and now those are it's just like we don't even do that anymore. We we go to work and we spend time with our family and all of our relationships are through the internet otherwise. Well I see I see Robert Jackson Bennett more often than I see a lot of members of my family because he we're in a writing group so He's actually on my on my frequently encountered human list. Well, then uh, you've teed this up. I can't help but ask. Uh, of course, Robert is, uh, as fans of this show know, famously odd. Uh, are his critiques as bizarre as his tweets? I don't know what you mean by odd. I can't. I can't even guess at what you're talking about. No, he's um, his, his uh, comments between critiques are you know, more or less like what you would expect from his Twitter feed. But uh, he's actually pretty, you know, he's pretty serious about talking about writing, and, and he's he's generally got a lot of good insights. So um, he's actually a great guy to have in a writing group. Well, I, I, if nothing else, I'm sure he keeps it uh, he keeps it light when we're not actually engaging in a critique, which is probably a, a pretty good thing to have. Writers are sort of, uh, sort of take things very seriously most of the time, so it's probably so good to have we're, somebody... We're, we're, we're a good bunch, and, and nobody is uh, nobody's a pain in the ass. So, uh, which is what you want in this kind of group. It's got to be fun, or there's no point doing it. Right, it's true. Although you've been in the game for a long time, and uh, my guess is a lot of folks listening to this show probably aren't familiar with you because most of your work thus far has been, uh, at least novel-wise, has been in the historical fiction category. Uh, but you've been publishing since 2000. Uh, give us a little bit of background, like what brought you into writing, and and uh, just kind of tell folks a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I um, I'm one of those people who I think of myself as a narrative junkie. I, I just love stories, and and I love them across media. So I'm a, I obviously love reading prose fiction, but I'm also a fan of comics. I love film. I love television. Pretty much any way of telling a story, I've always found addictive, and. I've also always wanted. Uh, I've also always wanted to tell my own stories, and uh, but at a fairly early age in adulthood, I decided that was for other people. I can't do that. Writing is hard, uh, and I ended up going to my graduate school to study English literature, and was focusing on 18th century British literature when I decided I was going to take a serious crack at writing fiction, and I went with the "write what you know" adage. And uh, as it happened, what I knew was 18th century England. So I sent my first book, The Conspiracy of Paper, in 18th century England. And that that's what got me started in historical fiction, which is not a 
a great love of mine. I've actually always liked historical fiction, but I also like a lot of other things. So uh, if, you know, 10 or 15 years before that, I'd imagine myself as a writer. It's not necessarily what I would have seen myself getting into, but uh, it's something I like a lot. And one of the things I've come to realize over the years is what I, one of the things I, I really enjoy about historical fiction is that it's essentially uh, crafting world building. And I've always been a, a science fiction and fantasy fan, and I think I tend to engage with historical fiction as, as a different species of fantasy or, or, or science fiction rather than as a way of conveying actual literal truth in fiction, which is a losing proposition anyhow. I have often said that historical fiction is for fantasy fans who don't want to admit to themselves that they like fantasy. <laughs> it, well, it certainly is for you know on the, on, on the writing perspective because you you have to create a world as you as your research tells you it was, and there but there are a lot of gaps you have to fill in. You have to imagine if you, especially if you write as I do about periods of time before recorded. Uh, media before before film or or sound recordings or or photography, you really have to imagine what everyday life was like, and and to some extent you're 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 making stuff up. It's a best guess based on real information, but I think um, you could say the same about a lot of fantasy fiction, which is taking a an imagined world that's modeled on some kind of historical period and making a best guess about what it would be like to live there. Mm-hmm. Well, you've you've pretty much admitted that you've been a science fiction and a fantasy fan for a long time, and I think I've seen some of your bios sort of refer to yourself as a lifelong geek. Uh, so I think it begs the question: What took you so long to write a science fiction book? Well, it uh, it wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to wait so so long to do. In fact, I remember uh, after I finished and sold my first book, I read. And I'd been away from, from reading science fiction for a long time because I was in grad school, and so I'd been away from doing anything for fun for a long time. But I was suddenly freed up to read whatever I wanted. And I read uh, at that time the Dan Simmons novel, Hyperion. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to write science fiction. And I immediately started working on a science fiction novel, uh, but couldn't really get a handle on it. I didn't really feel... Like my, my grasp of science was sufficient and I kept bumping into what I didn't know. And, uh, and that's also something that writers of historical fiction have to deal with. You, you always come up against what isn't known. But my historical and cultural research skills were, were pretty solid by that time. So I knew how to deal with it, but I didn't really know how to deal with, uh, issues of physics or or biology that uh, were unknown to me. So I just sort of moved on. And then I guess, again, maybe about five or six years ago when my, my daughter was in elementary school and she was going through a Harry Potter phase and reading, reading Harry Potter books and also other similar uh, middle-grade fantasy novels. And I wanted her to read science fiction as well, and I looked around, and I just couldn't find any science fiction for, for kids that age. So I said, well, maybe I'll write one. And I started actually working at that time on a, on a middle-grade science fiction novel. But at that point, I got stuck on not what I didn't know, but on the burden of my influences. I kept feeling like, oh, this is too much like Star Trek, or this is too much like Star Wars. I just couldn't get away from the, uh, the the genre of stories that had shaped 
my interest in science fiction until I shelved it for, for a while as well. Until eventually I, I did come back to something fairly similar to that project. That science fiction novel that you started after reading Hyperion, that w you were writing an adult novel at that point? Yeah. Yes. So the move to middle grade was just was mostly driven by this idea of, uh, of you were looking for something and couldn't find it, which is, I guess, a fairly time time honored tradition of of writer's inspiration. Well, when I went back to it, it was um, I was less looking for for something that wasn't there at that point so much as I still had this basic story idea in my head, and this was the. Uh, I wanted to write about younger kids. It just seemed to, it seemed to work better with the kind of story I had in mind. So I ended up writing uh, for for writing the book that I felt best matched the story I was con I was thinking about. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, as I was reading through uh, the book, and we'll get into you know, the book in specific in a little bit. But as I was reading through the book, I was trying to think because it is it does it, parts of it feel very familiar because there are things in it that are that are familiar tropes, or, and you certainly make references to things like Star Trek and Star Wars at various times. Uh, so it has a sense of familiar, but I, then I tried to think to myself, I said, what other science fiction books have I read that are really primarily focused on uh, a person this age? And of course, given that I read mostly adult fiction, uh, I, I had a hard time coming up with, 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 uh, with reference points. In fact, really, the only one that really kept popping in my head was Ender's Game, which, of course, sure. is, is this iconic book that appeals to both young children and, you know, retirees. So <laughs> there's a certain timeless quality to uh, an across-all-ages thing when you really have a protagonist that young. There is, I should say, in... in in the time since I first started thinking about this project and, and its publication, uh, there there are actually a lot more uh, middle grade science fiction titles out there than there used to be. So it is a, it is a growing field. I'm not a, a lone voice in the wilderness as I would have been if I'd written this book uh, five or six years ago. Of course, we've sort of seen a lot in fantasy where uh, young protagonists, and I'll use I'll just use an example because it's it's easy off the top of my head. There's a, a writer named Mark Lawrence who wrote a book called Prince of Thorns, which features a protagonist of an age with uh, your protagonist Zeke Reynolds, and which is uh, you know thirteen ish. And Prince of Thorns, of course, it is a very adult novel, although it features a young protagonist. Uh, so you said you felt compelled to write about a young protagonist, but you still kept it at a very appropriate place for a young reader. What, what kind of went into that decision? Why did you decide to stay, although the book does potentially read well for adults, why did you decide to make it still very much appeal to that younger generation and, and functionally sell it that way because you sold it to a, a children's imprint? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. One is I actually wrote the book thinking it was a young adult novel rather than middle grade. And it, my editor convinced me to, to make it middle grade, uh, which essentially the only changes I made were uh, cutting out the swear words. And I toned down, there's a, there's a romance that's at the center of the story that I toned down and made a little more implicit rather than explicit. But that was pretty much it. And, um, you know, that so for me, my, in my experience, the main difference between 
uh, middle grade and, and young adult was that middle grade does not include the word asshole at any point. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is, you know, like, I mean, it's interesting that you talked about, you know, uh, uh, Mark Lawrence's protagonist and mine as being about the same age because they're really, you know, I mean, they're so remarkably, the tone in, in, in my book and, and, and that book are so remarkably different. And, and, and that's really the other thing, which is that this book is something that I feel like there's not enough of, from my perspective, which is hopeful, optimistic science fiction. And there's so much science fiction today, especially the kind that comes into mainstream culture in terms of film, uh, where it's it's bleak, it's apocalyptic, it's about how terrible everything is 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 going to be in the future. And I, I kind of, I like, you know, cool aliens and cool technology and spaceships that shoot at each other. And that was the tone that I wanted. I didn't want it to be a kind of miserable scramble for survival. Yeah, that's interesting. As as you compare sort of middle grade and young adult as well, it does seem in the young adult world these days that obviously like dystopias and really sort of bleak uh, uh, settings is kind of the fad. I wonder if... But even with... Uh, even with adult science fiction in terms of uh, uh, film and television, it also tends to be bleak and dystopian and, and apocalyptic. There, there's so little uh, traditional space opera out there for, for mainstream audiences. Right. Yeah, and no, I, would, I would tend to agree with that. Actually, I was reading Paolo Bacigalupi the other day, who could not be more different, of course, than, than uh, randoms. But uh, as I was reading it, I, I thought to myself, I was like, Good Lord, this is just like one big don't keep screwing with our planet or else book. You know, I, I just yeah. was so depressed as I read it. I mean, he's a great writer, but it was just, you know, utterly depressing. It was certainly not something I would share with uh, a kid in my family, you know? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I've read, I, I've read a, a couple of books by him, and, and I agree. I think he's a terrific writer, but I, I read the book and I say, of my feelings, not of the writing. I'm like, well, that sucks, you know? <laughs> like, uh, it's like, great, soon there won't be anything to eat. Terrific. <laughs> right. Well, I also think that's uh, something else you speak to there. We say there's sort of a lack of optimistic science fiction. I would argue there's also maybe a lack of, of books out there that an adult reader can enjoy on the same level as the, you know, the nine or 10 year old in their house. Like, you know, when, um, certainly with the later Harry Potter books, you know, everybody in my house was reading them at the same time. And that kind of cross generational read, I think has, a, has its real pleasures. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're kind of, my, yeah, my daughter is, is, is five and we're sort of in that phase right now where she, she reads very well for her age, but we're just now starting to get her to understand that reading is not something that you just have to do for school, that it is something that you can love. And, it mm -hmm. is, and it's so important right now as we're sort of building this, I'm trying to build her a reading list that engages her on those levels. And when we can experience it together, like it really reinforces it uh, a lot more. So um, I think as we try to grow future readers, which let's be honest, is an uphill battle these days. You know, I watched my daughter this morning. She had her iPad in one hand. She wanted me to play tic-tac-toe with her at the same time while she was watching something on the iPad. I mean, it's like the the focus of attention these days is so challenging. You know, kids' attentions are really fragmented. And, and the one thing I think that, that you know, that I can say we definitely do right in our house is that uh, my wife and I model 
reading behavior. Uh, so kids see us reading and they see it as something that people do. And I think that more than anything else encourages kids to read rather than telling them to read a book, but then ne- they never see you reading a book yourself. It's empty words. Right. I've actually found myself putting my e-reader away more and more now and reading actual physical books because they, I, I think my children more identify that what I am doing is reading when I have a book in my right. head as opposed to my e-reader. Right, in which you could be doing anything. Right, right. There's sort of this assumption that I'm playing a video game or something instead of reading a book because I have a, a, a tablet or something in my hand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, so we've kind of talked around the book a little bit, or at least sort of how the book's positioned. G- give us a little elevator pitch for the book, like uh, what's Randoms about? Okay, I'll make this as brief as I can. <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be a fairly lengthy elevator ride. Uh, the premise of the book is that there is a larger interplanetary galactic culture and that when a civilization reaches a particular stage of development where it's advanced enough, they're contacted and given an opportunity to essentially apply to join this culture. And the way the first stage of this application is that four adolescents are brought to their capital city, which is essentially an orbital platform. Um, And they spend a year there. And they pick three people based on having skills that are valued in that civilization. And then one of them is chosen uh, arbitrarily as a random selection, which is where the title comes from. The main character is is the random from Earth. And... uh, one of the ways in which they prepare these civilizations is that they, in the decades leading up to their selection, they seed certain truths about the larger galaxy through through science fiction, essentially. So one of the things that we, we, we see as the book moves along is that a lot of the films and TV shows and books and comics that, that are familiar to people on Earth have actually been filled with, with truths about what galactic civilization is like. Is that a mess of a picture? Should I keep going? No, I think that's good. We've arrived at our floor. There you go. Uh, I think that's one of the parts that's, of course, really fun about the book, and in sort of the same way that I'm reminded of a little bit, uh, although you don't go nearly in, as uh, uh, over the top into the cultural references as, as he does, but it reminds me a little bit of that same thing that Ernie Klein has done in some of his books, where you know, as you're reading it, you, you sort of get this uh, this Spanish moment of like, Oh, I knew I knew that was real. It, well, yeah, and I and I will, I'm I'm the first to admit I'm very open about this. That it was Ready Player One and uh, John Scalzi's Red Shirts that really convinced me to write this book because those were the first books I'd read, which rather than talking about around or trying to avoid genre influence, embraced them. And I thought, wow, that you know, that, what a great idea! That it never occurred to me that instead of trying to avoid all the things that have influenced me and, and not write about them. What if I instead did the opposite and just, you know, owned them? And so, yeah, Ready Player One was a huge influence on this book. Uh, I, you kind of mentioned that your protagonist uh, is a random. As you said, that means he is not possessing of any of the skills that will aid him in his journey. And uh, talk to me a little bit about sort of the power of having a protagonist who is not in any way prepared for what he's facing. Right. So the, the idea of this main character, uh, Zeke, is, you know, he has kind of a hard life. He's, uh, 
you know, he's, he's lost one parent, and his mother, who he lives with, has a uh, has been diagnosed with a, a a terminal disease, and they move around a lot. He has a hard time settling in, and so he takes a lot of his uh, comfort in life from from genre stuff. He loves genre stuff, and one one of the ideas I had going into this book that I felt very strongly about was that I wanted love of genre to be a kind of superpower. Uh, the, the fact that he he's really into science fiction and fantasy and games and comics is, is what allows him to succeed in this world he enters into. But the the other humans in his group are uh, one's a, a chess whiz and one is a a, a, a math genius and one is a, a taekwondo champion. And they sort of they they don't want him around. They kind of box him out. They think Earth is going to do a lot better. If he's not if he's not participating and dragging them down, and so he ends up making common cause with the randoms from from two other alien species who have also been boxed out by their groups. So it's a the book is sort of about you know the kind of triumph of these uh, of these people who've been rejected who find a who find a community amongst themselves. As the book goes along, you you've I guess you've sort of touched a little bit there on on you know, what you were trying to accomplish uh, with the book in terms of, you know, this young man sort of learning to relate uh, to these other these other randoms and to, to sort of overcome these impossible odds. Is this notion of overcoming something that, that you really felt like spoke to a reader of that age? I, I don't know that I was really, I, I wanted to write about overcoming impossible odds, although, although you know, because it's a science fiction adventure story, that's inevitably in the, the DNA of, of the kind of story I'm telling because, you know, if there aren't impossible odds to overcome, you don't have much of a, of a science fiction adventure. But um, it's more about, I think, I would say, you know, owning owning who you are and and uh, and, and and being comfortable with it. And it's not a, you know, everyone is, is special and everyone is wonderful kind of story because I think the, the, the main character and his friends all have qualities that, that are in their own way important and exceptional. But I think it's more about, like, finding finding the stuff that you love and finding the stuff that you're good at and and really embracing it and owning it and and, and you know, being being who you are in a kind of aggressive way rather than trying to conceal who you are. Yeah, before we started recording here, you mentioned to me that you wanted to make sure that one of the things we came away from this was that people sort of understood that Randoms, although being a middle-grade book, is something that can really appeal to older readers. And having read the book, I, I would agree with that idea. And I'm going to kind of postulate why that might be. And I think it's because, and I've talked about this a lot with, with sort of people in and my friends in the genre community, because, um, of course, growing up, I was a big dork, a geek. You know, I was, I was out of, sh- out of shape and it, I wasn't, uh, I didn't socialize well. And so, of course, I found my sort of refuge in, in reading science fiction and fantasy, like, which is a very common story of people that are, that are, that are still into it as, as, as adults. Uh, and I think why that concept of being who you are resonates so well across generations is, we are we are always i don't care where you go in life we are all still that 13 14 year old kid you know like we never fully get away from that i agree 100% i think that's absolutely right i mean i think that i think stories about 
coming-of-age stories have always been really popular with adult readers or adult moviegoers because because of that, that there is this sense of, uh, I don't know, becoming that we, we find really addictive in narrative. I like that term, addictive, which, of course, is often seems to be at the core of the appeal of science fiction and fantasy because uh, oftentimes we do find that you know with series and with um, with character types and genre types we find ourselves saying uh, readers at the end of a book say I want more of, of something like that and so they'll go on right. Reddit and they'll say can somebody recommend me something with a protagonist of 13 years old a boy dealing with you know X Y and Z problems and of course people will recommend five or six books exactly like it but that definitely seems to be something that's built into genre readers uh, DNA? I, I don't know, is somebody coming from historical fiction, is that something that, that readers outside of the speculative genres feel too? Is that a universal reader thing? Uh, I suspect it is. I mean, I think that kind of transformation story is, uh, is hardwired a little bit more into genre stuff than it is into other kinds of fiction or into mainstream fiction, but it's certainly not exclusive for a genre. Hmm. So as I was uh, poking around some of the different reviews uh, out there about randoms, and, and there aren't a ton out there yet, because of course the book's not out yet, it's, it's out uh, next week, uh, it'll be out the day before this airs, uh, well, the only negative thing I've seen said about the book was that it's, it's too long, and I mean, hell, I don't know what a long middle grade book is, some of those Harry Potter books were pretty long, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm curious, was the length of the book, it is, it is a fairly long book, I, I think it's, I don't know. Four four hundred pages or something like that. I was aware of it being a little bit on the long side as as I was working on it, and it was something that that concerns me. But as you say, there are plenty of middle grade books that are as long or longer. And early on, uh, early readers of this book were all adults. I had the maybe like a half dozen people I know read it, and. They were very, very, I'd say they were more enthusiastic about this book than anything else I've ever written. And then I started to worry that maybe only adults would like it, maybe kids wouldn't like it. So I gave it to about the same number of younger readers, uh, of age-appropriate readers to read, and they all tore through it. So they didn't seem to think it was too long, and I think if a, you know, an eight-year-old doesn't think it's too long, then it's, it's going to be all right. Yeah, I think you're probably in in good shape. I, I guess the I asked the question because I was curious if your editor ever said anything about it. He he did not. Uh, we we sent it to a bunch of uh, of other writers to provide advance quotes, and the only person who read it who who didn't provide uh, a blurb was someone who said, "I really like the book, but I'm not going to blurb it because it's too long." And I thought that guy's a dick. <laughs> That's a weird comment. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's among the uh, the, the the stupidest uh, rejections I've ever received. So you know, like I said, if uh, if if, the, if middle uh, middle school age kids don't think it's too long, and adults don't think it's too long, then I'm not worried about it. Uh, I asked the question about your editor only because I'm curious as a uh, as a historical fiction writer prior. And a strictly adult writer uh, prior, have you experienced anything that you're now in the middle grade that, that is different uh, from the publishing side? I mean, in terms of your experience of working with the, you know, sales and marketing and publicity and, and your editor, I mean, is there is there a different approach 
Well, the main, the main difference, and something that's taken me a little while to internalize, is, um, you know, we're getting closer and closer to uh, the publication date, and I'm really hearing very little from, from marketing or publicity. And I started freaking out about this, and I had a, uh, arranged for a conference call with my editor and my agent, and the thing I learned that's so different is that for adult publishing, the first couple of weeks of a book's life are do or die. If it doesn't catch within two, maybe three weeks, the book is, is obviously 99.9% of the time, percent of the time is done. But with uh, middle grade marketing, as my editor says, it's all about the, uh, the backlist. So this book coming out in hardcover next week is sort of the uh, very beginning of the process. You know, and it's part of a series, and next year the second book will be out, and then it'll be out in paperback, and it's all about building a sustained readership over time rather than creating something that has to succeed immediately. Well, a lot of that has to be built on the fact that a lot of the early buys are libraries, right, I would guess? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, you're also dealing with a readership that rolls over every few years. So the idea with marketing to a middle-grade book is that you make it the sort of middle-grade book that people read, and then every couple of years you have this whole new crop of potential readers for the same material rather than adults who, book, you know, a book comes out and people read it or they don't, but the backlist, while important, isn't as big a part of the story. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. There's this... Even a book that appeals across age groups, you do have those that will sort of graduate onto adult fiction, strictly adult fiction. Meanwhile, you've got that new group coming up. That's an interesting perspective and kind of cool, actually, to think about. Yeah, and, you know, so I'm, the, the other thing I'd say about the, um, the kids who I had read the book that I, that I was really happy about was uh, most of them uh, were, were, you know, liked science fiction in a kind of casual way but weren't hardcore fans. Uh, the way, say, my main character is. And they walked away from it saying, oh, tell me more, you know, I want to know more about Star Trek, or I want to know more about Babylon 5. So that I found really cool, that, that maybe this was a book that would not only appeal to genre fans, but help to introduce readers to uh, some of the things that I really enjoy. <laughs> Every geeky parent's ears just perked up with that statement saying, ooh, I can give this book to my kids and they might actually... That is exactly what they should do. <laughs> they might actually uh, do that. I just, Peter, Peter V. Brett, the fantasy author, I know he is you know, sort of in the process of indoctrinating his uh, five-year-old daughter into you know, all things uh, geeky. And uh, I'm sure trying with my daughter uh, to, to varying degrees of success. My my son is now obsessed with Star Wars, so I think we're in good shape. He's only two, but uh, but but I'm excited about the idea of something I can give them that'll that'll get them on the side of righteousness. I I, I think this is it. Yeah, at least that's what I'm hoping. But that's how I'm marketing it to adults: is give this to your children or nieces and nephews to secure the future. But read it first. <laughs> adult read adult it person, first, read it first, first too. Uh, you also write comics actively, and you're currently writing something for 215 Inc., right? Uh, that's finished. It's coming out in, uh, in trade paperback, I think, in the, the fall, in October, I think. And what's that title? It's uh, Angelica Tomorrow. Okay. 
and then you've previously written for Marvel and Dynamite. Uh, what's what's writing comics like? I mean, so now you're, you've written adult adult fiction, you've written children's fiction, and now you've also write comics. I mean, you're kind of all over the place. Uh, have you written a screenplay while you're at it? I mean, what's what's comics like? Well, how is that different? It's uh, you know, it's just a completely different rhythm. It's um, the stories are told in smaller chunks. It's um, you know, a comic script looks a whole lot like a movie script, except the action is broken up into panels. And, you know, it takes me, you know, maybe a week if, uh, of regular work to, to produce a script for a 20 or 22 page issue. And as opposed to, you know, the better part of a year for a novel. So it's pretty cool that I can tell the story, um, send it off. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I'm looking at art that some other person, some other human being is looking at my script and turning it into a, a visual story. And and that's the main difference, I think, in terms of uh, besides just, you know, how long it is or how long it takes you to work on something is with when I started working on comics, I really had to learn how to tell a story visually rather than verbally. Uh, the words are really among the, the, not the least important, but they're lesser to the art. And most of the story should be told through visuals. And so that was a period of adjustment, but I feel like I've gotten, you know, pretty, it's gotten, it's become pretty intuitive for me at this point when working on a script. I can just get into that mode. Do you find yourself editing the words after the art comes back? Uh, sometimes, yeah. There's always a, a, a stage where you read, where you read through uh, what's called the composite, which is the art with the, uh, with this, with the text having been lettered already, and it's your last chance to go through it and make sure everything reads right. And sometimes, based on you know, the artist's interpretation of the script, you say, "Huh, maybe I need to tweak this line of dialogue, or I need to explain, you know, in a caption what's going on here." Uh, so it's it's very collaborative, which I like. Mm. Well, it's, uh, it's you don't get a lot of as much collaboration writing uh, uh, novels, I guess. <laughs> At least not until you. Uh, until you sell it. Yeah, no, it's it's true, and there's um, it's you know the artist is telling the story as much as the writer is, and in many ways more so, and uh, so it takes some of the burden off, and it also it's you know one of the things I, I really love about the process is if I'm creating a character in a comic, and I'll describe what I think he looks like or she looks like, and then when I get the art. You know, maybe the artist didn't interpret the uh, the description exactly the way I meant, or didn't see what I was trying to get at. But what I get is something that's uh, that's that's more wonderful or more cool than I originally imagined. And there's a real there's something really nice about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, Randoms is out on August twenty fourth, correct? Twenty fifth. So Randoms is out on August twenty fifth. Uh, and do you have any comics projects coming up after this one is out in trade paperback, or do you have something you're working on? Uh, the stuff I'm working on that has, uh, but in comics, I'm sure you know, you can't talk about it until it's been announced, and I have two projects that I'm working on that have not been announced. So stuff is coming, but I can't talk about it. That's all I wanted to know, David. I just wanted to make sure you were busy. <laughs> I was just, I was just okay. concerned making sure you were busy. That's good. And, uh, and also for... So that my dork cred is complete, I'm also working on a video game. I'm writing a script for a video game. Oh, excellent! You uh, you're cemented in the uh, in the Church of Geekiness, and of course, there's going to be a sequel to Randoms. Is it is it three books or more? 
Yes, it's a it's a three book series uh, with the potential for more if uh, if readers demand it. Well, then of course the obvious question is: Do you have another adult book coming at some point, or is that in the works, or are you going to wait till this is done? No, I just finished a uh, book that is historical fantasy, which is a genre I've, I've written in before, uh, and so that's being uh, that's that's being circulated now. And I'm actually also working on a uh, a book for slightly older readers and randoms. I would say it's in that gap between middle grade and young adult. That's about virtual gaming. Awesome. That's fantastic. So the book is out on August 25th. As, as an adult who read it, I, you know, obviously the vast majority of listeners in this podcast are over the age of 18, uh, based on the language I often use, hopefully well over the age of 18. Uh, nevertheless, I would highly recommend Randoms if somebody's looking for a fun, uh, entertaining book that's going to remind them a lot of the fiction they read when they were, you know, coming up in the genre. And uh, so I, I can't recommend it enough. And I appreciate you coming on today, David. Oh, well, my pleasure. Absolutely. This has been Rocket Talk.